Welcome to yet another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the podcast about understanding America and the 60s and the human psyche, I guess, <laughs> through two dudes who are forcing themselves to watch every episode of The Andy Griffith Show. I am Marty Schneider. I'm Dan Ludwig. Uh, we have got a good show for you today, I think. Um, both of us are God, so. like very prepared to go off on episodes, but they're different episodes, which is nice. <laughs> We have both been driven to the brink of madness by a different episode this week, which is it's fun. Yeah, like, yeah, it's it's a good balance, I think. Yeah, one of us will get to good cop each Mandy Griffith episode. Uh, also, please listen to the very end of this episode because we have a new ending title music. Uh, it's called Appalachian Coal Mines by the band Ask Again, and it rules. I love it. Please Hell give yes. that a listen. Before we get started today, oh, a couple other things. Also, our Patreon is live, patreon.com slash breakingmayberry, so you can donate to us and help us get bonus episodes and road diaries, and we've talked about radio plays and all sorts of cool stuff that we're coming up with as we're doing this. Uh, And one other thing I want to mention, a recap or a little update on something we talked about last week. So last week we talked about uh, George Nader, the guest star who was in the New Doctor episode. Terrible actor. Horrible actor. Absolutely the worst. An actual robot. Yeah, well, thank you for that lead-in, Dan. Because I mentioned that George Nader went on to become a sci-fi writer after after being a failed sci-fi actor. Uh, And he's most famous for a book that was written in 1978 called Chrome. I went ahead and researched Chrome a little bit more. Uh, It is a gay erotica sci-fi about a man who falls in love with a robot man. This is cool. the uh, like description from the back page. In the future, there will only be one taboo, to love a robot. But in the desert hideaway <laughs> where Chrome and the warrior King Vortex meet, a bond between man and machine is unknowingly taking shape. A bond that will ignite intergalactic violence and bring Earth once more to the brink of, read more, total destruction. I would read that. Oh, oh. We're gonna read that, Dan. We're definitely gonna read this. I am unironically on board. I'm sure that they that he does not stick the landing at all. But that's a pretty good Lord Vortex is some He Man and the Masters of the Universe shit. Some of the some of the Goodreads reviews uh, include the phrase is um, tightly plotted and frankly erotic. Here, here's a three-star review. I'm not going to put too fine a point on it. It's erotic. I was aroused. <laughs> I got so into the nature of the two main characters' relationship that I began to wish I were a skinny twink with a big, tough warrior from outer space as a boyfriend and protector. Now, hang on a second. Before we get too psyched about this, there are two Goodreads reviews that say, yeah, the first half of this is a beautiful, weird love story, and then it goes straight into fascist propaganda. Hell yes! So, <laughs> oh my god! So I so if you if you're if you're listening at home 
and you know anything about us by this point, you know where this is going. Like, when are we going to read this book? We're going to read the fuck out of this book. I'm going to read this book even if it's just for my leisure. Holy shit. Also, I didn't... But but yeah, gay erotic fascism. George Nader was ahead of his time? There's a catch here, right? So I've been trying to get a hold of this copy of this book. Uh, Philadelphia Library didn't have it. The library that my girlfriend works at didn't have it. Uh, And copies on Amazon range anywhere from like 30 to $1200 because it's very out of print. Uh so, if you want to help us with this, uh there is our Patreon. That is an option and we might just make this like a bonus episode. Marty and Dan read Chrome. Uh we should also definitely watch Robot Monster as well. So, we've got some good plans for some uh, bonus material. We're an extremely niche version of mystery yeah, yeah. science theater now. All about George It's Nader. only tangentially related to the Andy Griffith show, but we'll take it. George, I mean, George Nader was such an incredibly, almost mystifyingly bad actor that we both developed an instant fixation on him. He's He was like, he's a rock in the stream of the episode he's in. Just completely uh, emotionless and we just needed to get to know this man and i don't think and the more we learn about him the more fascinating he is so let's go ahead and shift that to this week's not that fascinating pair of uh individual episodes um they are called let's see episode 25 a plaque for mayberry the otis episode yeah both these episodes are otis heavy oh yeah which airs april 3rd 1961 uh, written by Leo Solomon and Ben Gershman. Uh, and then episode 26, The Inspector, airs April 10th, 1961, written by our friends Jack Ellison and jo- Charles Stewart. Uh, and both of these episodes are directed by your mom's high school boyfriend, Bob Sweeney. Guy who discusses business while in the sauna, Bob Sweeney. Both of these episodes are really Otis-heavy, like we mentioned. Uh, and The Inspector is one of the most bullshit episodes of TV I've ever seen. The Inspector is weirdly frustrating because for so long I've been wanting like just some sort of governmental oversight of Andy Griffith and then it finally comes and it's so unsatisfying. Yeah, I think that's why I'm so mad. But let's start with A Plaque for Mayberry. A Plaque for Mayberry, here is the one sentence summary from Wikipedia. The Women's Historical Society has discovered that a descendant of a Revolutionary War hero is living in Mayberry. But that person turns out to be Otis, the town drunk. Spoiled the fucking yeah, twist. Yeah, damn it, Wikipedia. Every single time. The, Wikipedia has no chill in terms of the Andy Griffith show. We open up uh, with Otis, his face pressed against the jail cell bars, saying, Hey, can I leave yet? My 24 hours are up. Can I leave yet? And so he's begging to leave the jail. Barney, of course, does not want to let him go because he wants to do some real police work. Which is ominous as all hell. Right. In most situations, this indicates that, like, he hasn't beat the prisoner enough. So he's... Yeah, yeah, no. A cop stalling for time is never a great thing you want to see. Barney Five's unstable ass. Like, they're always normally, like, like Otis can come and go as he pleases. So, Bar- like, Barney Five has gotten a wild idea in his head. And Otis is 
trying to get out before Barney does whatever the fuck he's about to try to do. But of course he doesn't get to. So Barney is allowed to do whatever the fuck he's trying to do because Andy is an enabler. What what Barney wants to do is he wants to perform a sobriety test like they do in the big, big city jails. And I think we should do it right cheer. That's something I picked up on this episode is they pronounce every, like right here, right cheer. Um, I didn't notice that. Holy shit. You gotta do it right cheer uh, in Mayberry. I also liked the line, uh, Barney is talking about how, how they're too lax with Otis. Andy says, you're making a big boiling volcano out of a wet weather sprang. Like, that's a, that's a pretty good, like, foghorn leghorn turn of phrase. Definitely a good southernism. So, what Barney wants to do is he wants to perform a sobriety test, an alertness test. Now, Andy reckons that you should have done the sobriety test earlier last night when you brought the prisoner in. And Barney says, well, we couldn't do a sobriety test on him last night. And Andy says, why not? Because he was too drunk. Which Andy should have followed up with, like, what are you trying to accomplish through this sobriety test? Do you want to keep Otis longer? Like, what is he, is he hoping to prove that Otis isn't sober enough to leave? If so. Yeah, what, what's the goal here? Otis is never, they're never, not going to stop Otis from being a drunk. They don't seem to want to stop Otis from being a drunk, even a little bit. They, if anything, they'd be upset if Otis stopped coming to their jail on a regular basis. Yeah, there was an episode of the TV show Titus, uh, where the family gathers around to talk to Papa Titus, Stace, played by Stacy Keach, uh, and they want to host an intervention for him. Uh, and he says, what are you talking about? I haven't had a drink in three months. And all of the family says, I know, we want you to start again. Because he's just <laughs> unbearable when he's sober. Uh, so that's kind of what this is, right? They uh, they would be upset if Otis, his role, stopped playing his role in the town, which is the town drunk. I could 100% see that being a plot of like a season three episode, but played super wholesomely. Right, right. Uh, the point the point of Titus is that they are a fucked up family. Also, the uh the list of of shows and and media that you need to consume to follow what the fuck we're talking about has now extended to the TV show Titus. That's right. Late 2000s three season hit on the Fox network. <laughs> Titus. You need to have wa- watched Titus Red Miracle Man be keeping up with Legion. and also follow several newspaper comics we're so fucking accessible (laughs) all right so barney gets to commit his sobriety test now there is a really cool shot that i like in this uh where barney kicks the chair towards the camera he walks over to the hallway and we get a new angle from on the jail that we haven't seen before uh barney is facing us and he kicks the chair and it slides towards the screen uh in like a very dramatic fashion that it's just wasted on this moment. Like, that would have been used for a better interrogation scene. I, would, I wish it would have. You don't see a fucking shot like that on TV anymore. Like, that that's one... Sh- like, we, we talked last week about how, like, like they could play it looser with with uh, camera angles. And you definitely see the benefit of that in, in that just shot of, like, Don Knotts kicking a chair Yeah, because they, they had an actual building to play with. They could use a different wall. We see it in the next episode, too, where we're actually facing Andy's desk for once, and we see the back wall behind him. Yeah, so we had that really cool shot. So 
Farney drags Otis over to the chair, uh, says that he's going to perform an alertness test on him. No, no, he does not drag Otis over to the chair. He, he like, says, Otis, come! And Otis, they do the fucking key bit again, which, again, the, 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 the laugh track loses their shit at. Like, I, I... I'm I'm starting to genuinely get annoyed at the laugh track every time they lose their mind at a reoccurring bit that the Andy Griffith show just does over and over again, which I'm pretty sure is a sign that I'm devolving into madness. But Otis gets the key off the wall, lets himself out of jail like he has 30 fucking times so far. The laugh track is just shitting themselves with laughter at the vi- the very idea of Otis being allowed to let himself out of jail. And I'm just sort of like, I'm, I'm actually frustrated at a laugh track at this point in time. This is the problem with the Andy Griffith Show's bits. Like, even when they're funny, they take up so much time. And it's not like the family guy thing where it, like, is funny and then it stops being funny and then it goes on so long that it's funny again. And, of course, I'm referring to, like, yeah. older episodes of Family Guy. I don't think I've seen <laughs> the, anymore. Uh, um, Breaking Mayberry but, does in no way endorse the, the comedy stylings of modern day family guy i th- I feel like we yeah we need that but this one like it goes on there's there's three stages to it first barney wants to see if otis can say a tongue twister barney isn't able to do it but otis is that's the joke then he does the touch your nose thing again titus also did this joke where the dad was still holding the beer he was still holding the beer and uh he was pulled over by the cop and he was asked to touch the nose i'm pretty sure you're supposed to touch your own nose because he touches the CHP officer's nose. Uh, again, this is now the Titus podcast. Oh my god, I would start that podcast. Barney tries to do the touch your nose thing. Uh, and Otis performs pretty well. He's supposed to touch his fingers together. Uh, but he winds up pinching Barney's nose. And then and like Barney is really squaring up on this. Like That sidearm is just hanging like a big old floppy dong for him. Uh, and then he says oh. something like... like well, let's test your endurance. Yeah, the first like he, thing a man loses when he gets drunk is his endurance, which let's see how much endurance you have. It's like that it's like the interrogation scene in fucking Sicario. <laughs> like it's so creepy. Uh, like just I I want to see what kind of endurance you have, Otis. I will see Ugh. your Sicario reference and tell you that it is a car battery away from being Casino Royale. yeah like and and the entire time this is happening while barney fife is like fantasizing about torturing their friend andy is just sitting at his desk they keep doing like cutaway shots to andy griffith just going like this is highly unlawful (laughs) (laughs) oh if i wasn't here otis would currently have nails in his kneecaps (laughs) just gonna beat him with a bag of oranges and don't leave a mark my deputy's wildly unstable. I better hide the phone book. <laughs> so, oh, so the endurance test is <laughs> all right. So it is uh, Barney makes uh, makes Otis hop on one leg with him, and then they they both hop on one leg together, and then switch the leg they're hopping on. And think about how long you would expect that joke to be. Triple it. It is so fucking long. But 
It's like that, um, I would, instead of saying Family Guy, I would say, uh, Mr. Tarkanian, the Will Ferrell bit from, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Saturday yeah. Night Live. Uh, they just go under the part where it's, it's, it goes on so, for so long that it starts being funny again. They don't hit that point. They go just up to the point where it's about to become so unfunny that it's funny. And it's just really un, un, a long, unfunny shot of Otis and Barney hopping, which then culminates with uh, Barney becoming incredibly winded after 10 seconds? What, how, how many seconds? Like 30 seconds of hopping. Uh, and, and has to be lowered by Otis into a chair. Uh, because I think it's been established last week... Barney is incredibly sickly and in extremely poor health and can't hop up and down. Like, he looks like E.T. in the part of E.T. where he is dying. Like, he can barely lift his hand to point at shit. And he, like, he's, like, huffing out breath as, like, his his neck is swelling with difficulty. It's After about 30 seconds of, let's say, mild physical activity. Like, preschool-level physical activity. Like, at this point, it is a matter of concern how unhealthy Don Knotts is. Like, he is like a pre-Captain America Steve Rogers, but worse. Like Barney Fife should be in a bubble. Yes! Like, I I actually, like, after watching that, I paused and went on WebMD to try to figure (laughs) out what the fuck is wrong with Barney Fife. WebMD has no fucking idea. WebMD's best guess is that Barney Fife is a chronic alcoholic, which is the only thing I can rule out with him. So, it's either he's anemic, anorexic, or has hypothyroidism, which, the latter of which sounds like the most realistic thing. You have sort of like a gland issue that causes you to not produce uh, basically enough red blood cells. Uh, but that's only found in women over the age of 60. So I have no fucking idea. He has some sort of like a vitamin deficiency. He's not, I get anorexia might be the thing, but why the fuck is he anorexic? Like, at this point, I feel like once a week, Andy has to chase the Make-A-Wish Foundation away from Barney with a broom. So so, so Barney is passed out in the chair, and Andy gets a phone call from the mayor! <laughs> the mayor! The mayor! Who wants Barney and Andy to come down to the mayor's office immediately! Barney, or so Andy picks up Barney out of his chair, basically, and is like, alright, let's get hopping, and he hops away to make fun of him, his dying friend. <laughs> Uh, so next, Andy goes in on Barney Fife this episode. Yeah. He does some damage to Barney's sense of self-esteem. So the next scene is in the mayor's office. The mayor! <laughs> and the mayor has is announcing to us that these two fine ladies from the Women's Historical Society have shared some news. So these women from the Women's Historical Society uh, believe that they have traced the descendant of a revolutionary war hero named Nathaniel Tibbs. To Mayberry. Apparently, uh, during the Revolutionary War, there was a Mayberry... They initially say the Great War of Independence, which scared the shit out of me. Because I thought they were talking about the Civil War. But then they say, clearly, Uh, General Washington. Yes. The the sigh of relief I let out, like, could have put out a candle on the other side of the room. Right now. I guess this... 
person, Nathaniel Tibbs, burnt down a bridge uh, which trapped the enemy on the other side before they could cross to it, and that gave General Washington the opportunity to attack an entire regiment or something like that. It's not really important. Uh, So they're going through the Mayberry historical records uh, to see who the descendant of Nathaniel Tibbs is. Now, to be honest, I'm not 100% sure why the mayor called Barney and Andy for this. He was bored. He was fucking bored. The mayor is so bored all the goddamn time because he's in a town where no one gives a shit about anything. So whenever anything of note happens, he's like, Get me Andy Griffith! I I just want to tell him this neat thing happened. Yeah, yeah. If I'm Andy at this point, I'd be like... Couldn't, couldn't this have been told to me over the phone? Just every time, like, like a telemarketer reaches out to the mayor, he calls for Andy Griffith. Andy! Andy, a Nigerian prince called me! He needs $10,000! <laughs> Andy, I'm part of an exciting new opportunity to sell Nutraslim bars! Come to my office immediately! Alright, oh, so, so as the mayor leaves to get the records with these two women, again, proving that there is no reason for Barney and Andy to be there, also, Barney begins to do it's you know, weird, his Barney-ness. It's weird that, that the Women's Historical Society has this much pull. Like, they're, like, not, not like, just a, a, a historical society. Like, the, they don't treat recognition by the historical society as, like, a neat thing, which which I'm I'm pretty sure would be the case today. It's a make or break. Yeah, this is gonna be big for the town. It's, it's like big. we hear the phrase "big for the town, for the town, for the town" a hundred times this episode. It's like they're building a fucking highway. Like it's it's they they, they treat it as a major like like financial windfall for the city, and it's just like. A couple of aristocratic old ladies in furs going, saying, hey, your town's important. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite literally in the title. All they're getting is a plaque. That's it. Yeah. No, and not like a statue, nothing that would draw tourists. Just vague recognition from, from just some aristocrats. Somebody did something here once. Uh, so Barney begins to believe that, of course, maybe the descendant of Nathaniel Tibbs that lives in Mayberry is good old Barney Fife. Of course Which it is. Which Andy promptly shoots down, uh, treating it as the dumbest possible idea. Uh, which Barney says Andy has gone too far and Andy has genuinely hurt his feelings and they proceed to have a really emotionally intimate conversation where barney just sort of says like you know you don't always need to be needling me you 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 can stop sometimes and after a certain point it 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 hurts my feelings it makes me feel like you don't respect me uh and andy responds by just saying like hey it's just that i don't think you're good enough to be the descendant of a war hero it's nothing it's nothing more than that (laughs) it's nothing personal you just suck yeah andy like barney bears his soul and like and andy just continues to just like fuck with him uh and at some point barney is going to shoot him clearly like you can only torture an emotional cripple so much before some shit happens so so then the next thing that happens is we're outside the jail. We see a couple of old timers, one of whom is Judd. And the last time we saw Judd, uh, he was being brought in 
for throwing a checkerboard by Barney. Uh, and he says something like, boy, they haven't figured out who that uh, Nathaniel Tibbs descendant is, is it? And Barney, Andy's like, nope. Guess it could be any one of us, huh? Yep. Based off of Mayberry's previous history, I'm surprised this didn't cause riots. Like, yeah, based off of, like, the beauty pageant, I'm surprised that people weren't throwing shit at each other and being like, I'm Nathaniel Tibbs' descendant. The hell you are? I'm Nathaniel Tibbs' descendant. And there's, like, cars on fire and shit. Like, these people do not handle any sort of competition with each other well at all. Opie says, hey, is it possible that Nathaniel Tibbs is my grandpa? Proving that Andy, or that Opie has no sense of how family works. Opie has no sense of what a, what a lot of stuff is. So my favorite part of this scene is that uh, Andy explains to Opie, like, what a father and what a grandfather is. Uh, and he says, like, anyone can pretend that they're uh, Nathaniel Tibbs' descendant, but that ain't true. And Opie says, well, George Washington was the father of this whole country. And Andy gets really uncomfortable, like, like he has to explain what fatherhood means. He takes the complete wrong tact with this, because all he really needs to do is explain what a figure of speech is. All he needs to do is explain a metaphor, but he gets all uncomfortable. and it's... He barely doesn't explain sex to his son. Andy treats it like, like they're having a birds and the bees conversation, like Opie just asked where babies come from. But really, it's just Opie doesn't understand metaphors. He, Opie does sort of think that George Washington Genghis conned America. Like, he thinks that George Washington is the biological ancestor of most of the country, which is hilarious, especially given the fact yes. that Andy just leaves that alone. So... not <laughs> clear it up. Uh, Ron Howard believes that to this day, as a matter of fact. Yeah, no, that, that was a, like, that acting happened that lesson was imparting to ron howard and no one corrected him ever because he's ron howard Take oh my god how many lessons from this show do you think ron howard is internalized as an adult oh man we, we, that's that's the next project after titus cast is ron howard filmography <laughs> just no just i think that's a tweet at ron howard thing of like hey man we need to we need to psychoanalyze you to see what kind of emotional damage the Andy Griffith show did. Andy basically drops this subject and kicks Opie out, and I think that's the only time we see Opie this entire episode. Um, Opie leaves, fucks off out of this episode. Barney rolls in with a big old like scroll under his arm, and he's got a uh, Tibbs family tree that he basically just made up, and he spreads it across the board and explains the Tibbs family and points out the point where the Tibbs family got together with the Fife family and begat him. Andy points out that this can't be possible because this particular Fife family spells their name P-H-Y-F-E and Barney spells his F-I-F-E and Barney argues like, well, sooner or later they had to simplify it. And now here's the thing. I don't know a whole lot about genealogy, but Barney could be absolutely correct. Barney needs Andy's validation so much, he just needs a smidge of validation from him, that he's manually doing Ancestry.com. And he describes himself crying in the library when he realized that he was a, a descendant of, uh, of Nathaniel Tibbs. He is so broken and desperate for this validation. And Andy, like, even if Andy was just like, 
it's a valid possibility that you're the descendant of Nathaniel yeah. Tibbs. I'm pretty sure all Annie needs to do is say, yeah, maybe. It would be Barney's year. That would be like, like Barney would carry that with him until the day he fucking died. And Andy is just like, it's not even a remote possibility. It's, it, it, it's, it's like if you're asking me to turn off gravity, you being the descendant of a war hero, I won't entertain it for a second. Also, I'm going to make fun of you a little bit. Fuck off. All right, so this is the reveal of the episode. We do a little, like, quick shift cut to the other side of the wall, basically. It's just some wall that they put up a sign that says Women's Historical Society. Good job, set designer team. Uh, and Everyone the, went home at five. <laughs> the, the two ladies are just like, We've done it. We've cracked the case. We know who the descendant is. It's Otis Campbell. <laughs> so it's really funny. Like they don't dun, know why dun, it's funny. Dun. Back at the jail cell, Barney is by himself. He gets a phone call from Andy, uh, and he says something like, "Yeah, it's been real quiet here. Had to bring in Otis." And this is a really like disturbing part of the conversation. Yeah, it, it's really weird for Otis to be here two nights in a row. Must be having a fight with the wife. And that's played off like oh whatever. God. No one cares. Yeah, no, like they ugh. the the normalization of Otis's behavior gets really fucking weird the longer they do it. Just because they won't let it go that it's not just that Otis is a drunk, which they totally could. He could just be the guy who gets drunk in the street and they haul in. They need to repeatedly hammer home that him and his wife are physically violent with each other which remember the leg of lamb leg of lamb yeah no let's not forget that otis's introduction was not just hitting his trying to hit his wife with a leg of lamb but also being a hardcore advocate for beating your wife as a way to just sort of deal with shit uh barney like speaks to his drunk prisoner who's just trying to sleep it off uh his like plans for this speech that he's going to give. He starts to recite it. Otis doesn't want to have fucking anything to do with it. Uh, and then Andy shows up to make fun of Barney again, to talk shit about him. Well, Barney starts doing the speech and the, the previous scene where Barney was, uh, was uh, sorry. One sec. Noise. The previous scene where Barney was, uh, proposing the idea that he was a descendant of Nathaniel Tibbs, it started playing Yankee Doodle. And during the scene, it starts up again, and it plays through this entire extremely long speech that Barney Fife does. And the weird thing was, is it's not just Yankee Doodle. It's this weird version of Yankee Doodle that sounds like it's being slowly beaten to death. Like, I'm I'm assuming you're going to start playing it here, but... It's like this weird, mangled, sad, dying version of Yankee Doodle that's just playing in the background for like three fucking scenes in a row. They use a lot of public domain music. Andy enters, uh, and the two ladies from the historical society are not far behind. Uh, I don't have anything to say about it. Actually, uh, we should talk about Don Knotts' actual speech first. Oh, okay, Don Knotts does a speech uh, where he starts talking about uh, he 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 basically does his acceptance speech and he keeps talking about how humble he is. Like I stand before you, a humble man, humbled 
by the great honor and filled with humbleness, which is the most white guy shit ever to do a like a five minute speech about what a humble person you are. Um, which is then interrupted by Andy Griffith rolling in to just continue to give Barney Fife shit. Uh, he is, he does not miss a beat. There, for the remainder of the episode, Andy Griffith, Andy Griffith's every other line is calling Barney Fife an <laughs> asshole. I want to, I want to get to the big reveal here. So the women come in and they reveal that actual descendant is none other than Otis Campbell. And Otis is drunk in the cell behind them. Just muttering, Otis Campbell. But they won't like, but Barney and Andy both freak out and go, Oh no, Otis Campbell. And so they lie. They say, we think Otis is out of town for the time being because they don't want to tell the historical society that Otis Campbell passed out over there. Uh, so they make some bullshit up and then they go straight to the mayor's office. And, Ah, this is so annoying, this scene. Uh, so it's this time it's the mayor, Andy, and two old fucks? <laughs> Who are, are these men? old men? <laughs> Who the fuck are these guys? I just got so upset that I started choking on my own saliva. Who the fuck are these old men? Are they the city council now? Who? The government, I cannot emphasize this enough, the government of Mayberry is whoever is in the room with the mayor. They are two old men who have never been seen before, these Statler and Waldorf motherfuckers, who were just, like, in there, like, just escalating the situation. Like, I I could have strolled into the Mayberry City government to walk up to the mayor and said, hey, we're declaring war on mosquitoes, and the mayor would have been like, yes, we are! We're doing it! Like, it's... I, oh, my God, the Mayberry government is such a weirdly frustrating thing. Partially because Ellie had to fight tooth and nail to become a part of it, and it's ju- it just turns out to be... Fucking whoever. She's not even in this episode. No, she's not. So these two old men are freaking out, and of course that means the mayor's freaking out about whether they should let Otis Campbell accept this. It's a dark day. We can't let the town drunk do this. So they're just like complete assholes to Otis. Like they're super shitty to Otis. And they keep really referring weird. to it as like a great disgrace upon the community. And I don't totally get why, because it'll be like, like, oh, will other towns know that your town has a drunk? Yeah, they got their own drunks. Like, every town's got a drunk. That's what this has taught me. You're they a have fucking conventions. dry county. Yeah. Like, like if anything, you're, you're a dry county that has one drunk. You're doing great. Like, what is the big shame here? Just that Otis exists within your, like, federal jurisdiction? Uh, I do want to say there is one of my favorite Southernisms in this phrase. In this, uh, they're really upset. They don't want Otis to take the the plaque. They don't want him to show up to ceremony because they're worried that he might show up as boiled as an owl. And what? Not a <laughs> syllable of that boiled makes sense. Okay, so... <laughs> Let's break that the Christ okay, down so- because one boiled. How is that a term for it being drunk? And two, as an owl who boils owls. Why? Why would you not say like boiled as a potato? You what? Were people boiling owls back then? And if so, towards what purpose? 
Why? <laughs> I don't understand. And I'm very upset by that term. And I really hope that it was just a writer fucking with me from several years in the past. Boiled as an owl. Like just someone... Someone in the writer's room wrote that, said, put it in. It's going to upset some idiot, like, in in several decades who made the mistake of watching this. Boiled as a fucking owl. It makes no sense. So, so the mayor demands that Andy take Otis out of town for a few days and they get a replacement Otis to come in and accept it. Um, and Andy's like, well, that's not right. This is messed up. Like, Otis deserves this. Like, this is rightfully his. But a- the mayor insists. So. Honestly, I love the mayor, but what is the point of him? Because he kind of just, like, he, they they never have, like, they never come into the mayor's office and he's like, we need to make sure there's clean water. Or, like, we need to revitalize the town's economy. Like, all of his conflicts are, like, we need to make sure people think our town is neat. So, so we go to Otis's house, where uh, Otis is very happy uh, about this. His wife, who is different than the wife we've seen before, uh, but his wife is like real happy. She like they give gives him a kiss, and Otis has this like tender moment. He's like, "Oh, this is the first time she's ever been proud of me," and he like mourns what a shitty husband he's been. He says like, "My drinking has given her a problem." He like has a real brief come to Jesus moment. Which he, yeah, he talks about what a shitty husband he's been and how how miserable he's made her and and all the terrible things he's done as a husband and but and then he presents it like but this'll make up for it. This award I'm getting is going to make it all worth it. I don't have to improve because this happened. Which like he so he's acutely aware of how fucking miserable he's making his wife and still refuses to change also when she kisses him on the head he's like uh, he says oh that's the lightest thing she's planted on me in years which awesome joke about physical violence with your wife otis so here's the climax right everybody's gathered in the mayor's office uh, you can tell this is a big deal because Andy has a tie on and his collar is buttoned. And the mayor wants to get his picture taken uh, and everyone's gathered. And meanwhile, Andy's out in the hallway being really nervous. Barney is being a jealous little bitch the entire fucking time. Like, he's just like, like every conceivable opportunity, he is sniping about how Otis isn't good enough to uh, to receive the award. Like, someone will mention Otis and he'll do like, a really quick pun. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it can't. He, like, does an Otis impression. Right like, he'll walk like, in and be like, oh, I'm gonna get it. He does, like, a drunk voice. It's really annoying. It sucks. Um, fucking everyone in Mayberry, by this scene, I, I was just fucking, I hated this fucking town. Because everyone in Mayberry is such a shallow, craven fuck who is, like, like, but Otis is a piece of shit, but all of them are so obsessed with image and just like just scheming for ways to get renown from the greater state that just like every every moment that Otis is on screen in this episode is a cry for help and every moment from hereafter. Yes, like, just I by the end of this episode, I wanted to throw Mayberry just just into the sea like fuck this town full of like 
irredeemable shitheads. Yeah, I, mean, I want I want to point out that like every single time we see Otis drunk from here on out, that is a failure of Andy and Barney and the rest of the town to act because he asked for help. He flat out like wanted to in this point. Yeah, no, he like Otis recognizes that his life sucks, that he that that his wife hates him, and that he's fucking miserable. And no one has even vaguely suggested sobriety. And if Otis tried to quit drinking, they'd probably intervene to stop it. Because they, they like having the, 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 the fat, rolly idiot that they can make fun of when he's drunk. Like, I mean, it, it's a constant thing for Barney, right? Anytime Barney's upset that the jail is empty, he goes and gets Otis. Like, yeah. Which, oh, which is going to come the fuck up in a second. So, but, so the mayor trying to cancel, but Otis... Like rolls. Well, th- this on. is actually preceded by a really good uh, uh, "Who's on first bit, which you you should edit in here because uh, it is it is some machine gun wordplay uh, that that uh, the mayor Andy and Don Knotts just tear through. It's probably like the best comedic bit I've seen on the show so far. What are we gonna do, Andy? Andy. The food you get anyway. Don't he know he's supposed to be here on time? Who is it? Well, tell him. Go on, tell him. Uh, Mayor, I, uh, I didn't get a substitute. Huh? We're getting the real thing. Otis Campbell himself. What? The 100% Otis Campbell. Or should I say 100 proof? Oh, you didn't. <laughs> I specifically asked you to get us a substitute for him, but you didn't. You got him. You did, and I didn't, but I did. How could you do it? Well, he did. You didn't. I did. How? I just did. Look, the only plaque that Otis Campbell deserves is from the Distillers Association of America. I, I took a chance, Never mind, Mayor. never mind. The only thing to do now is to get this presentation over before Otis comes weaving in here. Um, but the mayor resolves that he's going to try to cancel the event when Otis rolls in and proceeds to be charming as all hell. Yeah, uh, he, he's sober. He points out that the reason why he's been late and making a mess is because he's wearing new shoes. Hinting at the topic of stolen valor, which is very big with the baby boomer generation. Uh, yeah, so Otis, Otis refuses the award. Uh, they, they present him the award and he says, I can't accept this. Uh, it's stupid to give me an award for something my ancestor did. I didn't do anything to earn it. Uh... And if anything, you should give it to the town, uh, which I think is also stupid because at this point in time, fuck the town. They've done absolutely nothing admirable for the entire episode. Yeah, yeah. No, nobody's uh, done anything. Uh, yeah, no one in, in Mayberry has done anything in the Revolutionary War, but all right, whatever. But really, the entire, yeah, the entire award is stupid. Because it's giving an award to a place or person for a thing that happened generations ago that no one actually struggled for. It's just a bunch of bored people giving an award to remember that a thing happened. You could have basically just walked out into the woods, put the plaque down, taken a picture, and had the exact same results. Like, it, it doesn't, it's, yes. it's a moment in history. It doesn't belong to anyone. No, yeah, but they, but they want to acknowledge him as a he, as a hero because of his bloodline, which isn't at all alarming. 
that someone wants to be like, you have the blood of a hero in you. You're genetically I mean, heroic. have you ever talked to anyone whose bloodline does have, like, a hero in it? Look, I went to school with somebody who was, like, a distant relative of Abraham Lincoln, and guess what she brought the fuck up every opportunity? Well, you know, as a descendant of Charlemagne, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I'm a little too close to the situation. Listen, situation listen, to as a that. descendant of Genghis Khan... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, join the fucking club. We already made that joke this episode, but I don't care. Uh, th- th- that's the that's our guarantee is two Genghis Khan jokes for the price of one. Yeah, so but stolen valor is a big thing, right? Like, this is a generation that really loves to do the, like, thank you for your service. I'm always reminded of, like, David Clark and his stupid fucking fake medals. The, yeah. they, they look like they're military medals, but, like, he's never served a day. The generation that grew up watching the Andy Griffith show is a generation that loves to, like, take valor from people. Whether or not they've actually served, or they love the idea of, like, heroes that are off doing vague things other places. That we as a country, or we as a society, or we as a town get to take credit for. And here's Otis saying, that's fucking stupid. No, 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 no. Otis doesn't say, that's fucking stupid. That's the distinction. Otis says, in this specific instance, I'm going to give it back. That's kind of the line that the Andy Griffith show draws. Is like, they never say the whole thing is stupid. They never say beauty contests are stupid or awards for uh, uh, for your genetic bloodline are, are stupid. They never say the whole thing is stupid. They say, this specific instance of this happening is bad. But don't worry about all other instances. And and baby boomers latched on to that as like, oh, the exception is neat. Don't worry about the rule. I, I, I like that. Like, I like that. Yeah. All right. So the stinger of this is uh... after Otis delivers his impassioned speech, the mayor says, well, uh, I think it would only be proper for us to all have martinis. And then he lifts up a tray of pre-made martinis. Which, why would you pre-make martinis for an event that Otis is attending? And then, Mayor, why would you grab the ma- uh, the thing of martinis when Otis is-, is attending? And then the mayor hovers the martinis right under Otis's face and then goes, Oh, wait, yep. this might not be a good idea. Uh, and then Andy says, Oh, no, it's fine. And he's- he specifically says, I think Nathan Tibbs wants you to have a drink. Which... One, what, why, what? But also, fuck all of you for enabling this alcoholic. Because Otis is, like, looking at the drink like, I don't want to do this. And Andy goes like, hey, go on. Be your true self. Live your life. Have have a martini. You can literally see the fucking devil horn sprouting out of Andy's head at this point. And the mayor, yeah, you're right. He's basically like, well, I don't know how this bull got in my office. Better go grab this red tablecloth. Maybe that'll take things, make things better. I mean, to be in his defense, he is the mayor. Like he is, he can't, he can't help it. He's a little moron. He just like, he just like, he just made the martinis because he thought it would be neat. It's the responsibility of Andy, the adult, to have stopped this from happening. Andy and Barney are back in the jail, and they're cleaning up the cells, uh, and they're like, well, we should put a plaque here. Hey, Otis Campbell slept here. And they're like, yeah, more like slept it off, right? Andy says something like, I I think it'll be a little while before we see 
I think it'll be a little while before we see Otis back in here, indicating that he thinks Otis is going to be sober for a while. And Barney's just like, bullshit. And then enter enter Otis, like stumbling in, grabs the keys, lets himself back in and sits down. Uh, and Barney says, yeah, look what I, I see, Andy. And then Otis responds by saying, like, oh, these new shoes are killing me. I just had to get off my feet. And that's it. And Andy says, see, Barney, and that's it. Like, the joke is that Otis wasn't drunk. Uh, Which, again, they they make light of so much shit in this episode. Like, alcoholism, domestic abuse. I... I still can't believe that they didn't retcon the domestic abuse and and tried to make, like, Otis the beloved wife-beater slash drunk. Like, they really tried to do a rehabilitation of Otis and make him, like, a lovable character. And they left in the wife-beating. And then, instead of him being, like, a, a, a drunk that, like, it can't be prevented... They uh, they added several situations where him being a drunk could easily be prevented, like it, where he was one hundred percent on board for rehabilitation, and Andy Griffith just goes like, Haha, "Not convenient. Don't worry about it." It's so Otis like Otis is such a fucking frustrating character because. He perfectly encapsulates these attitudes towards substance abuse and domestic abuse that were just so prevalent and so fucking horrifying. And this episode just makes light of them in such a horrifying way. Like, the Andy Griffith show really just didn't give a shit. This one upset me. This one fucking got to me. Let's let's move on to the inspector, the one that drove you insane. Yeah. Oh god. So, like you said earlier, we've been really anxious for anybody to ever take like hold Andy responsible for anything. And this this fucking whiffs it. Alright, so here is the one sentence summary for the inspector. Ralph Case, a by-the-book state inspector, intends to impeach Andy and Barney for running the courthouse carelessly. I gotta tell you, I read that sentence, and my first response was, Good! Fucking good! Thank God! <laughs> Finally! <Jesus>. Like, <laughs> you know uh, what this episode feels like? You you know what, like, in a horror movie where there's, like, a serial killer and, uh, and the, the, the main character's being, like, held in their house or something? And an authority figure shows up, and then the serial killer, like, talks their way out of it. This episode felt <laughs> like that. Like, the point where, like, the cop shows up and is like, there have been some weird noises at this house. And, uh, and the serial killer says, like, ah, oh, you know, me and my friends are throwing a pretty crazy party. Maybe you should swing by sometime. Anyway, please leave my property. And the cop goes, well... I see no reason to question that. Goodbye. And and then the the victim is like in the basement, like with their hands around the bars going like, no, no. So the opening scene is Barney playing checkers by himself. Uh, I want to point something out about Andy's desk. We learn it has a slide out checkerboard. It's kind of a silly design, but I like it. So Barney is playing checkers by himself when we open it up uh, and he's losing. Um, Andy walks in and says, what are you doing? And yeah, we do this little bit. 
you're playing checkers by yourself. Uh, once win some, lose some. Andy goes through the mail. Uh, they get some letters. They do the uh, the Christmas card bit again, basically. Again, with the same group of brothers that they did before, where it's like, it's a group of brothers. They're in jail. They're pretty, they're really not upset being in jail. And at one point they're like, oh yeah, no, uh, we brothers were split up for a little while, but luckily Elmer violated parole, so we're all together again. Which, what is jail in the Andy Griffith universe? Like, is it because no one is at all upset to be going there? Uh, so... As they're going through the mail, uh, Barney stumbles across a notification that the state is sending an official inspector to come and do an inspection of the jail. Barney, for once, responds appropriately by saying, oh, God, yeah, the inspector's coming. We got to clean stuff up. We got to. I want to point out a sentence that is written in the ultra reliable Mayberry wiki. Um, uh, Barney immediately proceeds to get the jail in apple pie order. Oh my god, Mayberry Wiki guy! That's not a saying. That's not a phrase that anyone has ever used, ever. Apple pies are not necessarily I known for really... being neat and tidy. They are uh, they are messy, messy items. And relatively messy food. I want to find the Mayberry Wiki dude. I... I want to, and I, but I don't want to talk to him. I literally want to find where he is, drive by it, and then quickly drive away because I would not talk to this person if you put a gun to my head. I think, like, right now, this weekend is Mayberry Days in Mount Airy, North Carolina. So I think if we went there, we could find him. (laughs) Barney's trying to get us in apple pie order, and Andy's not fretted at all. Andy says he's got to get his fishing gear done and he's got to oil up his hunting gun and. Barney says, what the hell? Why are you hunting and fishing at a time like this? And Andy's like, no, it's cool. He says they're buddies. He uses the term buddies. They're friends. It's more of a social call. So basically, the way that Andy has gotten away with all of the horse shit that we've seen Andy do, like the fake arrests, the like framing men, the bullshit trumped up charges... Like, all that shit, the way that Andy gets uh, has gotten away with it is that he's friends with the state inspector. Fucking, it's corruption! It is such cut-and-dry corruption! Like, if the, if the there is only the slight sentence of, oh, and I give him an envelope full of money every time he comes by, it is the most boys club government like corruption shit that you can possibly imagine. It's every nightmare about what the internal workings of government look like. Just in the Andy Griffith show, like, so, so then Barney says basically like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get the in shape for the inspection again, hundred percent on bar on team Barney for this. Uh, except for this part, because Barney's worried about the cells being empty. So he says, well, I got to go out and get me a prisoner to dress up the place. So, of course, he leaves. Which, no, which, why is that always his thing? Because no, the, when the inspector eventually shows up, he's not worried about the empty cells. He's worried about just all the other shit. But Barney is constantly concerned about the lack of arrests they have. Because... I mean, it makes sense in context because Barney's, like, concept of police work is what he sees, like, what he's heard they do in the big cities. Uh, like, And that means they have actual arrests. It's Nick Frost and Simon Pegg in Hot Fuzz. It's the whole proper auction and shit kind of thing, right? 
Like Barney believes that the more people you have locked up, the better a cop you are. So I understand that he wouldn't like come up with the same idea that the inspector has come up with. Sure. So he runs out and he goes and gets Otis. Cause if you need a prisoner, Otis is always good for it. What if Otis had not been drunk? Like what the fuck would Barney Fife had done? Cause they would have gone to the fucking still. They would have gone to the Meriwether sisters or whatever the hell their name are and like give entrapment. Entrapment is what would have happened. Yeah. There would have been some fucking trumped up charges. Or or do you think they would have just arrested like one of the many people that are committing crimes in Mayberry yeah, did, all the time that they, they don't give a shit He'd just walk out into the woods, wait for gunshots. No, because there it's not that there's no crime in Mayberry. It's that they don't give a shit about the crime. Uh, Alright, so he goes and gets Otis. And uh, I gotta say, I really like the way Hal Smith plays this particular Otis drunk. Uh, it's very funny. So he comes in like with Otis over his arm. And Otis is just like... I like you, Barney. You're my friend. And it's, it's really, really funny. There's this a really weird moment in this, like, Otis, where he, reala- he reveals that, like, yeah, it just came down here to, it's my birthday. I got drunk because it's my birthday. And Andy says, well, you could have just come to see us and say hi for your birthday. And he said, it's like visiting your friend's store and not right, buying right. Otis's logic is that he had to get uh, drunk in order to go to jail to go see his friend Barney and Andy on his birthday. Very deeply sad. Deeply sad. Especially sad because I there's something underlying here. I get the feeling it's not it's not his birthday at all. I believe that it's his birthday for the the thing that follows, which is uh Otis proceeds to uh to check if there are any messages for his birthday using the jail phone and then sits and says no one remembered my birthday and then sits in a catatonic state on andy's desk just having an existential crisis because he realizes that there's no love in his life I don't think it's his birthday, though. I think that's why there are no messages, because it's not his birthday. That Here's is the a thing. much more optimistic view of Otis's life than I have. Which Here's is- the thing. They've known Otis for years. How do they not know his birthday? They don't give any semblance of a shit about Otis because they don't care that he's an alcoholic. Okay, they've also booked him several times, and they gotta have, like, a date of birth around there somewhere. I don't think it's Otis's birthday. But also, no. it's Andy Griffith, and as soon as you leave his frame of vision, he forgets that you exist. Sure, sure. Uh, and so, Andy's just like, well, we can't lock you up on your birthday. Here you go, deputy. You, uh, you just hang on to Otis, and I'm gonna go get him a big old southern cake. <laughs> cake. So he rolls out to go get a chocolate. Boiled like an owl. Chocolate cake. Puts an cake. I, puts an eye in the word cake. And <laughs> puts an eye in like a jazz break in there. Like it's like there's a drum line in his in his vowels of the, of his pronunciation of cake. While Andy is gone, the state inspector shows up, and it is not the guy that they were expecting. It's this guy named Ralph Case, which is a great name for, like, a hard-boiled, like, Inspector Kaida guy. Honestly, Ralph Case's whole deal is really good for, like, a hard-boiled guy. Like, the actor is... Like, it's it's one of the few things where they have a guest actor, and he's a good actor. He's doing a whole Joe Friday dragnet kind of thing. Uh, and he's yeah. Doing, when Ralph Case shows up, 
Barney is holding some flowers uh, for the decoration for o- Otis's birthday party. Otis is passed out drunk behind the desk. He is not in the cell. Uh, so Barney's just holding some flowers. And I was really expecting the joke like, these are for you. Like, that would have been really funny, but it didn't happen. Ralph comes in. And he's like, hello, I'm Ralph Case, and I'm here to solve this. He's like, well, where's the sheriff? Are you Sheriff Andy Taylor? And Barney says, no, I'm the deputy. And points to Otis. Who's that guy? Is he Sheriff Taylor? Don't tell me he's the sheriff. Yeah, because he's passed out drunk. Uh, and then Barney says, no, uh, that's a prisoner. And uh, Ralph you know, asks pretty reasonably, like, why is this prisoner out of his cell? Barney proceeds to lie to a federal inspector by making up a work program for their prisoners. Yeah, he said that they had a work detail and uh, this guy just got tired out and passed out. Which, admittedly, I'm not a lawyer. That feels like a felony, right? That seems like like lie, like a state official lying to another, a, a senior state official might be a federal crime, right? Yeah, that, that, seem, that seems about right. Yeah, um, I've done no research whatsoever. Yeah, so so then Andy enters with the cake, uh, which is kind of weird, a, a bad timing. So he's like, ah, he's all good, oh, hello, and uh, brings it to Otis, who's now like, no, I'm sorry, they've locked Otis in the cell, and Andy's like, what the hell? How? Is, why is Otis in his cell? And Ralph says, basically, like he's in his cell because he's a prisoner. Now this is this is the annoying part, right? Uh, Ralph is mad because of the wrong shit. Ralph is mad that Andy is just like an unorthodox prisoner. And Andy actually makes a pretty good point here. He's just like, well, we figure most of our prisoners are, uh, you know, people who have had hard times, you know, and uh, we don't need to make their stay here any worse. So we kind of make this like a little homey for them. So it's not that terrible for them here. Perfectly is grossly corrupt and, 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 Mr. Case is mad at him for not being more authoritarian. Yeah, yeah. It, there's so much shit you can yell at Andy Griffith for. Being nice to prisoners is not one of them. Like, no. Yeah, he he strictly yells at him for the shit that I am on board for. Treating prisoners like they are human beings is awesome. And it's the primary thing that Ralph Case is, is furious about. Okay. So, so Ralph says something like, have you ever read a single book about, uh, have you ever read a single book about proper policing technique? Have you ever looked into any of our courses or blah, blah, blah? And Andy goes, well, no, but I used to read the police gazette. Uh, had to stop, had to stop, uh, getting it though. When Sheriff Deputy Five joined the force, there's a lot of girly pictures and he ain't never been married. There is so much to unpack there. I'm sorry, but the remainder of the episode is canceled because we need to figure out the fuck Andy Griffith was saying there. Yeah. So, wait. Does is the Police Gazette a porno mag where they're just like it has a porno section apparently. <laughs> just like, like just like page 6 like uh was just like like prostitution mugshots or something. I don't understand what the fuck this was. No. It had a porn section. The official, uh, like, newspaper for cops in America was like, oh, hey, just while you're while you're reading about cop stuff, here's some porn. And then Andy was like, well, I have to get rid of this. 
Barney Fife has never been married, so he's going to jerk off to it all day. Can I just say, Uh, the idea of, like, a Larry Flint publication that's just called Cop Gazette is fucking hilarious to me. That's the funniest thing I can think of. Um, Mr. Flint, if you're listening, fucking bankroll that shit. Okay, so, uh, we go back, and now Barney is, like, doing his weird phallic thing where he lovingly strokes the rifles. uh, And this is where... Ralph Case says, insists inspecting Barney's gun. Barney hands it over and he looks over it and he says, there's no bullets in this gun. And that's when Andy explains what we all know, which is that, well, uh, Barney's not allowed to have a bullet. And Ralph's like, that's stupid as hell. Deputy, load your gun. So Barney loads the gun and immediately shoots it. His facial expression is like he pissed himself. Like, he, it's, it's the most, like, like, erectile dysfunction metaphor I've ever seen in anything ever. Like, and at this point, what, like, because they put it in his hand, load the gun, fire. Does he have some sort of, like, medical issue that causes him to have that low dexterity? Yeah, was, was he holding the trigger down while loading the gun? Who fucking knows? But I feel like, you know how if you, like, like bump a car during your driving test that's an automatic fail i feel like that should have been the end of the episode just ralph is like well nope you're fucking done nope no more of this bye otis yells take that thing away from him before he kills us all which ralph should have just said like all right well i heard those words so we're done just i am not I'm going to lock the jail and set it on fire with you all inside because those words just happened. All right. So after that, uh, Ralph raises the con- the the idea of if something serious came up here, it would be a disaster. And Andy says, "Ain't no purpose thinking gloomy thoughts. Think on the bright side." Which what? How is that your argument, Andy? How is that your comeback? Because Ralph has raised a very real thing of like, what if there's a hurricane? Like, what if some very bad shit happens in Mayberry? Your backup is Don fucking Knotts, who who you can't arm because he'll just like cave, like carve a swath of destruction through the town. And, and, Andy Griffith just says, like, well, don't think about it. That's sad. Nope. I, you, you don't yeah. get to criticize me. All right. The next day, right, Andy's just kind of cleaning up the place. Uh, and Opie comes in uh, and says, hey, Dad, uh, Barney wanted me to bring you this. He said that we might have a shot if you ha- have, like, a hat and tie on. So here's the only hat and tie I could find. And he gives Andy a fishing hat uh, and, like, a polka-dotted tie. It's really sad. Like, Opie has come to dress his dad in hopes of helping him keep his job. And and Andy's just like, well, that's some stupid shit. Bye. <laughs> Andy is also pissed because the reason Opie has done this was Barney Fife rolled by his house and yelled, Your dad is going to lose his job! He should be wearing proper uniform! Goodbye! <laughs> So Andy is pissed that that Barney just, like, came by and freaked out his fucking family. Well, I mean, no. Andy's pissed that Barney showed any agency or any, like, 
decision making process of his own and like and he's upset that Barney is worried about something that Andy thinks isn't worth worrying about. It's really frustrating. Barney comes in, Andy is wearing the stupid hat and the stupid tie to make fun of him. And Barney rightfully chastises him and says, why aren't you upset about this? We're getting an inspection going on right now. And Andy says, oh, there's no reason to worry about it. And then they immediately lock themselves in their jail cell again. Andy is, this fucking bit again, how many how many times do you think we're going to see this joke before this thing is through? I mean, what at what point does a running gag turn into a clear lack of ideas? Like, I mean, a, a running gag is the same joke, but in different contexts, making it funny in different ways. None of these jokes are ever in a different context. Don Knotts playing a harmonica is always just Don Knotts wants to see someone watch him play a harmonica. The jail cell is always the fucking jail cell. Otis letting himself out of the jail is always the same thing. They're, they never, there's never any variation. They just do the same thing over and over and over again and hope that you don't remember the last time you saw it. We may actually be the first people to actually remember it because I don't, I don't think anyone's ever paid this much attention to this show. The inspector comes and unlocks them and begins to yell at them uh, as he should. Enter Sam, a different Sam than the other Sams we've met before. Just some guy named Sam who's like, hey, Luke the Moonshiner has barricaded himself up. He's worried that they're going to come and shut down his still. So he's holding himself up and is just firing wildly at anyone who comes by. He started up his still again. He heard that someone was going to report him. So he barricaded him inside and he's shooting at the world. And he's like, well, I guess we're going to go. And this is where we see, like, a complete shift in the character of Case. It pisses me off. Uh, so Ralph Case is just like, wait, aren't you going to call for backup? Aren't you going to call the state police? Uh, and Andy's like, no, I think we can handle it. Not mad at Andy yet. By the way, this is basically the exact same plot as Manhunt. Like, this is the same thing. Some authority figure from out of town has come in to, like, tell you what to do and chastises you rightfully, but Andy's correct in the end because of his down-home country knowledge. And by the way, is it any wonder that this fucking program raised an entire, like, an entire generation of xenophobes? And we'll get to that in just, what I mean by that, in just a fucking second. Just a minute, all right? I am very, I did not draw that connection, but I'm really excited to find out how you do so. Just a goddamn minute, right? So, so Barney, Andy, and Ralph show up at the Moonshiner's house, right? And Luke is literally just in his shed with a broken out window, just shooting at everything. He shoots it at Andy. He shoots at Barney, right? And as they get out of the car and they hide behind the, the cop car and they basically just yell, like, Luke, you stop that. Luke, you, you, you knock it off. Cut it out. Hey, 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 that's not cool and you know it. Stop. <laughs> like, like he's running at the pool, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, they, 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 basically they were yelling, like, come on, man. You, you, this isn't cool. Like, Luke, you're, 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 you're really, you're getting on my last nerve, Luke. You need to stop firing at me wildly. Literally only Ralph seems to recognize what a dangerous situation they're in. And Ralph says, like, he says, hey, do you have a portable, like, megaphone? And Barney says, yeah, we got one in the trunk. We use it a lot for, like, church picnics and stuff. Again, another, like, haha bumpkins joke. 
They open up the trunk. The trunk is full of like baseball gear and fishing equipment and stuff, whatever. Uh, and Ralph basically tries to do that. Hey, we've got the place surrounded. You need to calm down. And he gets his hat shot off. Bear that in mind. Ralph almost got shot in the fucking head. They yeah. shot his hat off. And Andy's just like, whatever. You shouldn't have been wearing a stupid hat, asshole. Uh, <laughs> now, here's the thing, right? Like, at this point, Ralph goes off the handle. And he's saying, we need to get a SWAT team in here. Let's do tear gas. You've written that he's, like, basically proposing a Waco, Texas kind of thing. Yeah, no, he says, we'll blast him out if need be. And here's the fucking thing. Here's the fucking thing, right? We're supposed to point at Ralph and say, that's ridiculous. He's overreacting. This is absolutely silly that his procedures tell him to do this. If Ralph were not there, Barney Fife would be doing the exact same fucking thing and proposing the exact same thing. And we'd be like, oh, Barney, you're so silly. So, yeah, so Case is the bad guy. Now, I will say he's wrong. Obviously, he's just escalating the situation, but he's escalating the situation in exactly the same manner that one of our, like, sidekicks, Barney Fife, would have done. So I don't understand yeah. why we're not supposed to be on this guy's side. Now, Andy's response is, like, no, nah, it's just Luke, all right? Look, sometimes he does this, indicating that, like, Luke has done this before. Uh, and Ralph says, hey, he nearly killed me. And Bar- Andy says, you mean when he shot your hat off? Now, come on. Now, I know Luke, and he's, like, a great marksman. If he had wanted to hurt you, he would have hurt you. Which is not a fucking, like, comfort to anyone. So Also, he's drunk. Like, he's he's pissed on moonshine right sometimes now. Sometimes guns misfire. Like, sometimes aim is not accurate. You yeah. can't rely on that at all. And this is what I mean, right? So, according to Andy Griffith... If you have two people, one of which is a crazed gunman that you know, and the other is a mild critic that you don't know, the critic that you don't know is more dangerous than the gunman you do know. It's such a bizarre fucking way of of looking at things, and this is where I got that, like, generation of xenophobia thing, right? It's just, like, the crime that is in our town is okay as long as it's the people that we know, and the real criminals are the people out there who want to tell us what to fucking do. Fuck you. We should... Fuck you. Fuck you. And then, so here's how this... I'm sorry, Dan, I'm just gonna roll through this. Here's how the situation is fucking handled. Andy just stands up like an angry parent whose child is like being upset about not buying the right fucking cereal in the grocery store. He just stands up and he's like, now Luke, you cut that out. And then Luke fires and like knocks out a headlight or whatever in front of Andy. I will say it's really fucking cool. Like this is bullshit and it pisses Mm -hmm. me off, but it is really cool. And he just like marches right up to the door with the gunfire going. Uh, Ralph case is just like, what the hell is this maniac doing? He walks in there, and he basically, like, takes Ralph out by his ear. Just like, now, Ralph, what are you doing? Like, he just chastises him, shooting around like a like a fool, like a youngin. Bad enough you're shooting at me and Barney, but now you're just embarrassing us in front of company, essentially. Like, it's the most insane. And uh, in, in the meantime, yeah, the chief inspector has showed up. And he shows up just in time to watch Andy hero up this shit and, t- and subdue the gunman without, like, any problems. And when they pull, when he gets back, uh, Ralph's just like, "Well, sir, I wanna, I wanna like report a chocolate cake and a party with candles and a gun went off." And the the chief inspector's just like, "Yeah, whatever." Wait, what was that about a gun going off? Ha! No, I'm kidding. He never fucking mentions that. 
Which, he literally could have just said, the deputy can't be given bullets because he immediately shoots a gun. But, alright, so back to the thing. Andy proves that he's good and not deserving of, of prosecution because of the way he handles Luke. But what does he actually prove about himself through 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 the Luke's apprehension? Is it that he has, like, giant balls? He's not afraid of walking into gunfire? Is it that he proves that he's in touch with the community? No, no, it, 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 he proves that he's daddy. He proves that he's our big, strong daddy who will beat up any other daddies on the playground. And that's why we're going to, like cheer on Andy Griffith and continue to vote for him. Fuck you. It's it's also it's also that what he what like his his advantage in this situation is he knows that in the south in Mayberry at least you fire guns wildly off into the distance when you're upset and you don't mean anything by it and it's not it, it, you're not trying to hurt anybody. You're just shooting guns, and he just knows this because he lives there. But he was it they were never in any danger because people in Mayberry deal with emotional distress like fucking lunatics. So here's here's I got the Mayberry wiki up again. This is this is the lesson that other people have taken from this. This is in their trivia slash notes. By the way, this is not trivia. The show illustrates big city procedures versus down home country common sense. Andy's simple common sense approach is again proved to be the way to go. Fuck me. It's only common sense because he lives in a place where common sense is nonsensical. Yeah, no, where... it's, it's it's only in that goddamn context. Like, in no other way, shape, or form is walking up to a person who is shooting wildly common sense. That is absolutely not at all common sense. In no other circumstances beyond a fucking action movie is that a good idea. I will point out, though, in this particular case, a good guy without a gun stopped a good guy with or bad guy with a gun. Just no, I mean, it's 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 kind of crazy at this point that the show has 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 committed to Andy Griffith not carrying a gun because the way they justify it is hugely regressive shit around his character. They don't justify it by him doing anything that espouses not needing to use a gun. They just justify him not needing a gun by the fact that guns are fun and goofy and don't really need to be taken seriously. Like, they justify Andy Griffith not needing a gun because gun ownership has no consequences whatsoever. I don't even want to talk Fuck. about the stinger of this because we've been talking about this episode for too damn long. Let's just roll right into the fucking ratings. No, no, no. Because Andy, we will. Because Andy Griffith, so Ralph Case uh, gives his reason for uh, for why Andy Griffith should be in case uh, should be impeached, and he's so upset that he uh, he says birthday cake gun went off and there were doilies. Never mind. And Andy Griffith proceeds to disparage Ralph Case's career by saying, I think he's been working too hard. He's very upset and out of it. So Andy Griffith proceeds to go on the attack. And after Ralph Case has been embarrassed and him and his boss are departing, Andy says, hey, uh, 
don't tell anyone about our doilies. I wouldn't want other police departments stealing our interior decor. When Ralph Case looks embarrassed and ashamed and soaks off. So the stinger is Andy just like like needling his 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 defeated opponent. Like he has taken this young man who who's who stepped to him and destroyed his career and then just salts that wound on the way out. Fuck, Andy Griffith is a bad person. <laughs> That's a good, like, let's just get to the ratings now. I'm so frustrated. Uh, yeah. All right. So, uh, <laughs> Late episode Grumpy Marty, everyone. My favorite character. Ratings for uh, a plaque for Mayberry. Uh, how good is this episode? Scale of 1 to 10 uh, Andes. Andy meter. What you got, Dan? Uh, I mean, I'd say a 5. Yeah, I'm going to say a 5. It's fine. It, uh, it, it. It it has a decent story structure. The twist is good. The payoff is good. Honestly, I'd really, really like it if Otis didn't beat his wife. That really it, it, it ruins it. It ruins the whole thing that Otis is 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 a wife beater. Uh, I I fucking love Otis as a character. Yeah, I, I these two pair of episodes have made me really like Otis. But he's a wife beater. But he beats his fucking wife. Yeah. So I mean, I'm also gonna say it's a five for how good the episode is. Five a meter though. Holy shit. How, like, pissed off does this make us? Seven? I'm going to say seven, because, like, Otis is crying out for help the entire episode, and everyone ignores him. Like, everyone's a bad person. The town of Mayberry needs to die. Like, Yeah, no, I've I've seen a lot of shit with substance abuse in my life, and just Otis's cry for help that is ignored and then patted down. That, that that stung a little bit. I, I'd say I'd say I'd say an eight, maybe high, but it's an eight. Ratings for the inspector. Uh, all right, how good is this episode? I'm gonna give it a like a seven, just because even though it pisses me off and I think it's bullshit, I really do like that Andy standoff scene. It is really cool. Yeah, like I'm gonna say a six. Okay. Um, Ralph Case has is one of the few good guest characters who is a distinct personality. The, the the actual plot is a little weak. And then then my rage, my FIFO meter, it's it's ugh, gotta be like a nine. I'm so mad about it. Pisses me off so it, much because it's just an opportunity for Andy to be held responsible and it just never happens. The adults show up and then promptly pass on, and we're just left here. Like well, they'll never come back, Marty. The the state inspector is never going to come back. There's never going to be we're we're it's this is the first season. We're alone. Like it's We've just been us abandoned. and Andy Griffith. We've been abandoned. Yeah. It's just us and Andy Griffith, and we're at his mercy from here on out. I don't think Ralph Case is ever coming back. So that's those are those are our episodes for today. Thanks for like hanging out with us uh coming up next week coming up next week we have a david adler episode about girls wearing makeup so that's gonna be a good fucking time (laughs) oh god holy shit uh as always if you have any comments any thoughts about what we're talking about you can get at us facebook.com slash breaking mayberry tweet at us at break mayberry you can email us breaking mayberry at gmail.com you can yell at me directly i am on twitter at schneid remarks that's s-c-h-n-e-i-d remarks <laughs> i'm at the luds scream at me at your leisure uh you can uh tweet at ron howard remember he's at real ron howard this time hashtag tweet at ron howard 
I think that you should uh, share with Ron Howard your family's best spaghetti recipe or whatever your like Sunday diner recipe is. <laughs> All right. Uh, until then, please remember, if you want us to read Chrome, you can definitely get at us and we'll, we're going to work on that. I'm excited for it. Try to stop us from reading Chrome. I dare you. This is happening. Uh, our opening music is done by Max Ludwig, who you can find at Sleep Talkie. Our closing music you'll hear in a second is Appalachian Coal Mines by the band Ask Again. Our logo was designed by Emily Christina. You can find her on Instagram at ScribbleEmily. Until next time, we are Breaking Mayberry, and we will see you all down at the Howard a lot of recipes. I think this is like the third time we've done this. I mean, I'm not I'm not opposed. Like, I, I'm sure he oh, appreciates that's true. this. That's true. I don't have a better one than that, and I don't feel like doing this take again. Um, uh, wait, no, no, no. uh, what about uh, give Ron Howard dental tips? Like, we've seen Ron Howard's jacked up child face. I it looks like that did not nah, age well. Ron- Maybe tell Ron Howard about proper dental maintenance. I mean, I feel like Ron Howard probably got pretty good dental insurance, but all right.